What if you could ask the author of Power After Carbon, okay, what's next? Listen in as Scott Hardin of Microsoft interviews Peter Fox Penner about energy policy, measuring impact, and foundational clean energy technology. Welcome to Grid Forward Chats, a podcast series with industry leaders on what lies ahead for our electric grid. This episode is a live recording from the recent Grid Forward Decarbonization Summit. So, uh, really glad to, to uh, introduce our final uh, guest in this discussion. He needs a little introduction, such as Ed Jigger. Uh, Peter Fox Penner has been a thought leader in this industry for a long time as an accomplished author, as a Boston University professor, as well as the chief strategy officer at Energy Impact Partners. Uh, Peter and I had the chance to meet uh, when I joined Microsoft, and we've had several conversations since then that I've really found delightful, and I've learned a lot every time that we've spoken. And so uh, it's it's always enjoyable to speak with you. I learn every time we talk, and it's welcome to have you here, here today, Peter. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much, Scott. Um, Peter, I wanted to kind of start by talking a bit about your books. And, you know, a decade ago, you wrote uh, Smart Power. And you really kind of laid out a vision for the future of the electric power industry. And then you fast forward a decade. Uh, and in 2020, you publish your new book, uh, Power After Carbon, which really envisions a future uh, around a fully decarbonized energy system. And one of the things that struck me when I read the book was in the preface, where you talked about contemplating the need a few years ago about an update to smart power. And the reality is, as you called out, the industry has really entered into a decade of much more dramatic change. And I think the way that you framed it was the entire frame has shifted. And I think that's really largely due to a lot of the disruption that we see today associated with digitalization around decentralization. And of course, the topic of this conference that we have today, which is around decarbonization. So when you fast forward to today, we're just coming out of what you know was a very challenging period for all of us globally. But I think there's reasons to be encouraged. And we see this at Microsoft with a lot of the digital transformation in industry. We're seeing it also in the energy sector. And there's clearly a palpable bias for action that we're seeing in the industry towards energy transition with paradigm shifts in posture from both policymakers as well as industry leaders when you look at international oil companies that are now becoming integrated energy companies. And so taking that into consideration, has there been uh, an even further uh, shifting of that frame in the last 12 months since you wrote your last book? I'd love to hear your perspectives on that. Uh, thanks, Scott. Um, I, I think the frame has shifted a little bit and accelerated in, in the last 12 months, um, thanks to, I think, uh, just a further global awakening to the importance of uh, climate action. Um, it, much of it inspired, uh, oddly enough, by the pandemic, by the COVID-19 pandemic. I think people, and I'm talking about ordinary citizens who are not energy full-time walks like us or working in the industry uh, every day, 24-7. Um, ordinary folks realized that the environment matters and there are threats out there that can move quickly that can really be dangerous 
to themselves, their loved ones, their families, their communities, their businesses that they've worked so long on, um, everything. And climate change is sort of a, also that sort of threat. Um, it, it is a very big existential threat and people in a sense are taking it more seriously now. We're also seeing, of course, unprecedented wildfires and heat waves um, and floods. And so the combination of those things has caused a real inflection point, I think, in uh, the global citizenry and thus governments taking it seriously. And of course, in the United States, we've had an election, a very consequential election, and we have an administration that includes folks like Jigger, um, and Secretary Granholm, um, and others, John Kerry, uh, who are making climate a, a whole of government priority. So this has really, both of those things have accelerated movement even faster uh, than when I wrote the book. But the change was still, you know, hearkening back to smart power 10 years ago, I was really worried that the combination of the disruption factors um, would um, freeze the industry financially, that the, the industry would lose liquidity to use, lose liquidity to use Jigger's term, as it did for a while in the 1970s and even a little bit in the 1990s when it goes through these transitions. Fortunately, that hasn't happened at Energy Impact Partners. We see more and more startups than we've ever seen and we have more and more access to capital than we ever dreamed of so it's really a good shift that's great thank you for those uh, comments you know i want to i want to actually double click on that a little bit because one of the things that we talk about a lot both within microsoft as well as all of the stakeholders in grid forward is we have this bias for action and yet it really just takes an incredible amount of alignment to really take on something as significant as energy transition especially when you think globally and all of the different forces that you know affect things in different jurisdictions we talk a lot about the alignment of technology markets and policy and i think that although we're seeing a lot of progress in markets when you see orders from FERC such as 2222 and you see other things that are happening you know globally when it comes to energy markets i still think that there's going to be challenges associated with policy and i'd love to get your thoughts more from uh, a standpoint of what profound ideas come to mind as far as what can happen and how can we help to bring policy more closely in alignment with markets and technology? Great question, Scott. And I do think you have hit on the right thing. It's what inspired both of these books. And that is the fundamental thought that generally, broadly speaking, between technology, markets, and policy, it is most likely that policy will lag or become the the political impediment to action. And thus, I, I agree that that, and that continues to be the concern. Um, and um, Jigger sort of mentioned this along with, with Audrey and, and let me focus on one, there, one aspect of policy that is of biggest concern and they mentioned it uh, as well. And that is infrastructure. Um, I think, uh, in the United States and generally across the globe, the energy energy is unique in that it is a system. It's a network. You guys know that at Microsoft well. 
uh, our partners at EIT know it. Um, the way to think about that is there's uh, upstream generators and processing large-scale storage. There's infrastructure in between. Storage is part of infrastructure as well. And then there's a whole downstream use sector. And, and um, Power After Carbon, my book that you were kind enough to mention, sort of talks about those three segments. And policies are most important in the middle segment of infrastructure, connecting creators of new energy forms and fuels with users of new energy form. And now in a multi-directional manner, but it, infrastructure is in, inherently a quasi-public policy-driven, policy-dependent portion of the industry, more so than upstream and downstream. And so that is where I think we need policy focus. It's great to see the Biden administration focus on it. Jigger's talking about it. And, you know, I think even if we can double click on that, Scott, talk a little bit more about that dimension of policy. I think that is, that's the part that keeps me up at night, I'll just say. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and certainly from our perspective as well. I think one of the things that I think Microsoft, you know, and many other stakeholders in the industry where we can have impact and play a role is educating, you know, folks about, you know, why policy changes are going to be important. I think that, you know, we talk about those three factors of markets and technology and policy. Technology, I don't think is, is really going to lag. You know, I mean, I think we see an accelerating rate of technology. We were just talking about, you know, hydrogen. We were talking about, you know, many different capabilities, you know, that can emerge to, to support like a renewable, you know, future, both at the edge and on the bulk side. But I think that what needs to happen is really to help unleash what could happen from a technology perspective. There needs to be an education, education that happens, and that education needs to take shape in many different ways. You know, I think that from, from a federal perspective, you know, we're participating in a lot of dialogue around, you know, the reliability standards that are coming from NERC and, and what could happen from a digital perspective. But I think we also have to be sensitive and, and use empathy when we look at the commission level and how, you know, the different commissions have to take into consideration many different stakeholders from the region. So love to get your thoughts on that because we're certainly looking at how we can help play the role of educators to a certain extent and, and love to get your thoughts on that topic. Well, I, I do agree that uh, the educational discussions and learning have to be targeted at different levels of decision makers because they have different spans of authority. Um, there's some conversations that are really, really important to happen at the federal level. A lot of technology development is national, if not global, and thus it really needs to be dealt with at the at the federal level. And um, there's lots of functions like Jigger's function that are essential national goals. But quite a lot of the uh, utility industry, as you note, Scott, is uh, remains uh, state regulated and regional in focus. You know, the RTOs are really uh, important regional organizations along with other regional planning groups beyond the RTOs. Um, so I, I think there needs to be targeted efforts at all of those. And the efforts also, Scott, vary by type of infrastructure. Um, there's one conversation to have about electric transmission, um, which includes, as Jigger and Audrey mentioned, new technologies and new right-of-way uh, use and planning processes and things like that. And the conversation about those 
which has been very difficult for decades, really needs to be quite specific to governors, not just public service commissions, governors, state energy offices, rural co-ops, land use planning agencies, even county executives, and, and of course, the FERC and the federal government. That's a very complex policy conversation. It's very important. And it's a little different than the conversation we're going to have about cybersecurity standards, for example, where you won't have state county planning agencies invested in it. Um, But yet cybersecurity is very important infrastructure. At EIP, I think we have six uh, cybersecurity companies in our portfolio doing important work right now after the Colonial Pipeline hack. So there's several different conversations to be had, both by type of infrastructure and by level of decision maker. Yeah, you know, and that really opens up another you know topic, really, to double click on infrastructure overall, because I think that how you define infrastructure is something that we really need to have a deeper discussion about. What is the definition of infrastructure? You know, I know that there's so much conversation that's happening, you know, as we speak in DC around an infrastructure package and where we can invest. And and a lot of that is talking about physical assets, but there is a digital component to this. And one of the things, you know, that we have talked about a lot at Grid Forward with many of our stakeholders is, is there a way to define digital capabilities as part of infrastructure? And I'm curious, you know, from your perspective, with with EIP as you guys are looking at many of the new you know startups that are coming in, into this industry are you having those conversations as well oh absolutely um one one of our portfolio companies opus one is one of your sponsors as, as you know they're a they're a digital infrastructure provider to utilities we have many many of them in our EIP portfolio in cybersecurity and grid management like opus one um, in marketing management for utilities workforce management uh, charge uh, electric charger management, and actually we've coined a, a new term for them, Scott, in our impact measurement function. Since mm. at Energy Impact Partners, impact is part of our name. Um, ESG and impact measurement is a core part of uh, stakeholder capitalism. Now we do an impact report every year, and m- many of our companies, you might call them infrastructure. We've we've started to use the term foundational. These mm. Companies are foundational to the clean energy transition because without them, you don't have the the operating foundation on which you can build a 100% clean grid. Cybersecurity is a good example. If you don't have a secure a cybersecure grid, you will never convince policymakers to electrify heat. You know, look at uh, Texas. The Texas when people died from an absence of electricity used for heating. So yet we need, we know we need to move to a massive electrification of our, our economy, probably doubling the share of electricity in our end use by 2050, at least probably doubling electricity use in, in just the next 30 years, something we can do, but we absolutely have to have better management of the system. It has to be resilient. It has to be digitally secure. Um, and so all of those functions, which you don't think of as part of the of clean energy, you know, it's a cybersecurity function, but they are yet essential or foundational, as we like to call it. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. In fact, you know, I just listened to a podcast recently with one of your colleagues that was speaking about even the need to triple the capacity on the grid. 
you know, for, for a lot of the electrification needs as we look, you know, downstream from decarbonizing the energy sector. And then we look into the adjacent, you know, different verticals and how they can then become decarbonized by way of electrification. And so I think it's going to create, you know, a scenario where it will be an all hands on deck approach with policymakers, with technologists and with the markets. Pardon this quick interruption. Do you like the in-depth interviews on Grid Forward Chats? Subscribe to our channel on Apple, Google, Spotify, or Podbean apps. That way, you don't miss a single chat. And learn more about Grid Forward at gridforward.org. Now, back to the show. Um, speaking of markets, just a bit, if, if you could just share your observations, you know, there's going to be a lot of, you know, analysis and arrears on what happens, you know, with ERCOT. From a market perspective, you know, what would you see as some of the major changes that could really be beneficial overall in North America with our energy markets? First of all, the, let's let's leave Texas aside and just talk broadly nationally, because Texas was a bit of an of an anomaly with yeah. unusual weather. And and really, it, it didn't have to do so much with the idea of markets as it had to do with you know, uh, standards for winterizing generators. But anyway, um, I, I think the, the wholesale electric markets that we have created were largely created during the 1990s by brilliant folks who are my good friends uh, right across the river from where I'm sitting now at MIT and, and over down the river at HBS um, that, that involved the use of uh, locational marginal pricing and spot pricing of power by location, which revolutionized and enabled electric markets, along with, you know, your favorite uh, development, Scott, digitization, right? So we, we could create digitally enabled wholesale spot markets, and and it revolutionized electric power, the industry, and trading. But they were invented for a all thermal industry, and we are moving to a all carbon free wind and solar anchored industry. And so big picture, that market de design wasn't created for the future industry. It's what I've, we, I've been talking about in my books and many people are talking about it. We are in the midst of a major redesign of the markets, not to undo spot pricing, which works very well, but to supplement it with markets for other decarbonized products like making resilience a product, especially capital provision products. Market is a very broad term. What is Jigger Shaw doing with his loan guarantee programs? He is facilitating the credit markets by creating smart federal programs and policies. We unlock cap the capital markets, which are ready. There's $72 trillion of capital committed to net zero investments now. And much of it isn't deployed yet. There is more capital on the sidelines than can be deployed. So part of creating markets goes back to your point about policy. If we do smart government policies and programs that enable the private markets to do what they can do, we will unlock lots of capital. and and. The carbon transformation is really a capital challenged problem. We have to invest now in a new system and we will reap benefits for generations to come 
but that economically speaking that's a capital creation so the the market changes that are most important are not on spot pricing which um does very good at optimizing short-term decisions with the current capital stock but it's about the markets that change capital so capacity markets resilience markets or ancillary service markets all of those products that affect what you build when you build it sorry for a long answer there but i i hope that no, it was you know, towards what you were thinking about yeah, no, that was a great answer. And it actually is a good segue into a question I wanted to ask you because when Grid Forward originated, you know, the, the organization really emerged from the demonstration project, the Pacific Northwest Market Demonstration Project. And one of the key topics that we talked about a lot during the demonstration project and now was the notion of transactive energy. In, in those markets that you were describing, could you just share a few thoughts as far as, you know, now from 10 years ago to where we are today, the role of transactive energy and how you see it playing in now and in the near future? Well, transactive energy is really here and now. When, when I sort of started writing about it 10 or 15 years ago, it was kind of a, a dream, you might say. Mm. Um, we, we didn't have enough consumer awareness. We didn't have a well-developed enough tech. Um, we didn't have well-developed enough products. Um, and uh, energy wasn't on people's minds enough to make it worthwhile. Uh, you know, one of the things we learned, I think, in the 90s of the deregulation of electricity is um, to a lot of people, electricity's back of mind. They maybe want to think about it once a year when they change retail providers, if that, and then they just want it to work. And we, the first generation of transactive energy technologies, you probably remember it. I have some of the old tech lying around, programming thermostats with 18 moves of pushing buttons that was like your VCR and took forever. And then a month later, you realized the program was obsolete and so on and so forth. So the first generation of that stuff was not very user-friendly and thus wasn't very successful. But now we have, as you well know, um, we have Ecobee thermostats in our portfolio at, at, at EIP. They, they're pretty much AI enabled and they program themselves and you just put them in and, and answer a few really quick questions. And so transactive energy is here, but it's it's because of AI enablement, it's often happening in the background. We have another company called Sense that you know works right through your app. And so much of that works in the background that I really prefer it. And I'm an energy wonk, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's great observations. So I know we only have a few minutes left, but I actually think and come up with a provocative answer here because what I'm really looking for, if you had the opportunity to just create one breakthrough, what would that breakthrough be? Really for focus on energy transition and our goal towards 100% decarbonization. What is the one breakthrough that you think would change things more than anything else? Oh, I think long-term dollar a kilowatt hour seasonal storage of electricity. Um, which is sort of what we get from large scale hydroelectric dams that we can no longer build in the United States. Um, uh, that would, you know, if I could pick one tech and 
at EIT, we've invested in Form Energy. We hope they are that. Um, and we hope, honestly, for the sake of everyone, that there are more of uh, those long-term large-scale storage technologies uh, in the pipeline, so to speak. That's from the standpoint of decarbonization, that's probably the single biggest thing. Uh, I think um, beyond that, Scott, number two in line, and this is in energy as, dis as distinct from say agriculture, which is a form of energy also, but I'll leave it aside. Mm -hmm. But um, the second thing is a, an ex a, a low car, a decarbonized fuel that replaces gaseous and liquid fuel that where we can't electrify things. And there is going to be a portion of our energy that I think we can't electrify. And for that, we'll need either um, earthshot hydrogen at a dollar a kilogram or possibly natural decarbonized natural gas through CCS um, or biofuels. And I think we'll have several of those. But if I could invent any one of those and long-term electric storage, wow. Fantastic. Well, I really appreciate this conversation, you know, and uh, before I turn it over to Bryce, I got to ask, are we going to wait another decade for your next book? Any insights on what you're thinking about now? Um, I, I have a new paper coming out. I think you will wait at least a decade for my next book. Uh, and <laughs> please don't. Please don't. We have so much work to do, folks. Um, I, please, let's get to work and let's let's make the transformation happen. Thanks, Peter. Great conversation. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Grid Forward Chats, our podcast series with industry leaders on what's driving grid modernization ahead. Check out our website at gridforward.org to learn more about our podcasts, virtual events, becoming a member, and our mission to promote grid innovation and accelerate modernization across our region.